Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message is actually a two-in-one, a quick message about Fellowship Sunday preached by Rod Heppel and an interview with Andrew and Tanya Rokeby facilitated by John Lusink. It was originally preached on Sunday, July 4th. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Today we are doing something a little bit different. We are calling this Fellowship Sunday because it's an opportunity for us to highlight our denomination, the broader group of churches that we are a part of across Canada, and what it is that they do. The name of our church family is Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. And maybe you've wondered about the word fellowship in there and what it means and why it's there. So first of all, it identifies us as a local fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ who gather here each week and then go back out into our communities. But it also identifies us with a broader connection of churches, over 500 of them, that meet across Canada. Our denomination is called the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches in Canada. Now this is one of the larger evangelical denominations in our country with over 80,000 attending Sunday morning worship services each week. Our churches stretch from the tip of the Yukon to the tip of Nova Scotia. It spans all across Canada in all of the provinces and territories. The Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches in Canada was formed in 1953. This happened when a Baptist group in Ontario and a Baptist group in Quebec came together. Then a few years later in 1965, the fellowship expanded again to include Alberta and British Columbia. The fellowship at present is a voluntary association of churches that spans all five regions across Canada. The way in which we're united is around an affirmation of faith which our Sardis Fellowship uses this affirmation of faith as our statement of faith. In British Columbia and Yukon, we're known as Feb Pacific. In Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Northwest Territories, and Nunavut, it's called Fellowship Prairies. In Ontario and English-speaking Quebec, it's Feb Central. In French-speaking Ontario, Quebec, and New Brunswick, it's Ibec. And in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, Labrador, it's called Fellowship Atlantic. Those are the five regions. Now, the majority of our churches, 350 of them, are centered in Ontario. And our national headquarters is also there in Guelph, Ontario. British Columbia is the second largest region with just over 100 churches. Once a year, the National Fellowship has a conference somewhere in Canada. And when it's located out west here in British Columbia, we do our best to be a part of it. Our president, his name is Steve Jones, and he oversees a very large staff out at Guelph, Ontario in the main office. So, the National Fellowship, what do they do? Well, here's some of the services that they provide or agencies that they oversee. For all of our churches, they manage the health care and benefits package for all of the pastors. They also offer dozens of resources to all the churches for church growth and leadership development. They have over 100 chaplains that serve on sports teams, hospitals, airports, bus stations, fire and police, care homes and prisons. They have an international relief division called FAIR. FAIR stands for Fellowship Aid for International Relief. And our church at times has promoted FAIR as an option for you to give through when there's been things like the disaster, uh, earthquake in Haiti and stuff like that. Our fellowship also has a significant church planting ministry in Quebec, but 
Quebec recently, with 80 of these churches being established, has now self-organized to be one of their standalone regions. That's why we have this new one called ABEC. Our church is helping to support a church plant there, and this fall you're going to hear more about that opportunity. Feb International also has a magazine. It's called Thrive. Maybe you've seen it out in our foyer, and if you do see it and want it, you can take it. You can also read online that same Thrive magazine. And finally, this brings me to their mission agency, which is called Feb International. And that brings us to today. In a moment, you are going to be hearing a missionary couple, the Rokebees. You got to learn to say that name right, okay? I had to. The Rokebees, Andrew and Tanya, are going to be sharing their vision for being missionaries in Japan and how God has led them to that. I met them over Zoom this last year. And uh, it was really challenging because we were wanting to connect with them and have them come out to our congregation when everything got shut down. And to be honest, because of the shutdown and all that COVID was, was meaning, uh, they kind of got pushed to the back burner. But as soon as that announcement came in May that we were going to be able to resume meeting again in the summer months, my phone was ringing and it was Andrew Rokeby. He wanted to know if there was a chance this summer that they could connect with our with our family and uh, with our church family. And so I said, yes, we can get you on July 4th. And so in a moment, you're going to be hearing an interview with them. Now, I was really actually impressed by the fact that the Rokebees did not wait for us to call them. As soon as they heard that window could be opening up again, they showed that initiative and said, hey, we want to get to Japan and we need to build our support base. So that excites me because this couple is taking the initiative to get there. I'm also grateful to John Lusink, who's on our missions committee, and he is the one that's doing the interview over Zoom with them, so you're about to watch that. It's 15 minutes long, and then after that Zoom call interview, I'm going to come back and share a little bit more about what Feb Pacific, that's our local British Columbia division, is doing here in our province. Now, for what you're about to hear and everything I've just talked about, you can always go to the website www.fellowship.ca for all the information on our national agencies. So enjoy the interview. Well, I am very pleased to introduce to you Andrew and Tanya Rokeby. And uh, they have uh, John, who is two and a half years old, and Anna, who is 10 months old. They are members at uh, New West Community Baptist Church, and they live over in Burnaby right now. Uh, they are missionaries heading out to Japan with the Fellowship International. That's the sending agency for our fellowship of churches. And we're pleased uh, to get a chance to interact with them a little bit and get to know them a little bit this morning. So uh, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves, Andrew? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Andrew Rokeby and I grew up in Northern Ontario in a small town called Timmins. And I uh, grew up in a uh, Christian home and I was saved as a young boy through the witness of my dad. He shared the gospel with me, and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and grew up being active in our church and uh, really involved there. And then when I was 18, I moved out to the West Coast to Victoria uh, to study uh, undergrad at the University of Victoria. And while I was in Victoria, I attended Central Baptist Church. And I remember the first Sunday I was there, uh, the preacher at the time was Reverend Sipley, and the, the main question of his sermon was, if prestige and wealth were uh, not important, what would you be doing with your life? And I remember thinking to myself, uh, I would be a missionary. 
But then I thought, well, uh, prestige and wealth are important, but I want to have a comfortable life. And being a missionary, that doesn't sound very comfortable. I don't, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, so I didn't really give much thought to that uh, again until 2011. So after the great East Japan earthquake and tsunami, I traveled to Japan with Fellowship International to do uh, some relief work and some evangelism in coastal communities. And when I was there, I, I lived with a missionary family for about three and a half weeks. And I learned a lot about the challenges and the blessings of, of being missionaries. I learned that their life was, yeah, sometimes difficult. It was certainly wasn't always comfortable, but they had a strong sense of fulfillment and purpose in what they were doing there. So I, I came back to Canada. I had one year left at University of Victoria. Uh, at the advice of some other folks, I, I enrolled at Northwest Baptist Seminary uh, to prepare for missions. And uh, lo and behold, my first day of classes, I met Tanya in the graduate student lounge. Uh, she was doing a master's degree at Trinity Western and we, we just happened to meet there in the lounge, and then we were married 11 months later. Tanya, catch us up on you to the bring to this point. Yeah, so I grew up in Duncan on Vancouver Island and attended Bethel Baptist Church, which was a fellowship Baptist church at the time. And I also attended a Christian school growing up, so had lots of opportunities to hear the gospel, and I was saved at a young age. I remember going to Awana as a kid, and I memorized Ephesians 2.10, which talks about the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was maybe around age 11. I decided that is what I wanted to do with my life, uh, what God had already planned. Um, so, yeah, after high school, I, I went to Trinity, and just had a sense that maybe my vocation or calling would become more clear after I met my husband. And yeah, lo and behold, I met Andrew and he told me about his heart for missions. And yeah, that resonated well with me and was, yeah, happy, happy to join him in this adventure. Now, Tanya, I understand that you have a, a, a connection to our church. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I grew up with Terry and Jenny Lee, uh, now Sloan and Nielsen, of course, uh, at Bethel Baptist. And yeah, so uh, we were there for about 10 years together. Um, went to camp every summer, Camp Quanos. We did the CITLIT programs and counseling. And then in summer 2007, Terry and I lived together in Sardis. So, and at that time I attended Sardis Fellowship. So, yeah. How did you go from finishing seminary to being appointed as missionaries to Japan? Yeah, so after I finished seminary in 2015, Tang and I really wanted to seek the Lord's leading and uh, how he would, he would guide us, you know, whether or not we should do uh, church planting missions or at the time I was looking, uh, I was interviewing for medical school. So, uh, we uh, sought the Lord's leading in that area by stepping out and doing some uh, short-term missions. So in the summer of 2015, we traveled to the Republic of Chad, which is in Central Africa. And I volunteered at a medical missions hospital. And then we came back to Canada for two weeks and got on a plane in the opposite direction to Japan, very different country. And we served with a church plant in Japan. 
And that experience, uh, through that experience, we learned a lot more about the, the opportunities and challenges and where we might fit in Japan, what that might look like. So we returned to Canada and started a process of discernment with our church elders. And we were appointed uh, for career missionary service with Fellowship International to Japan uh, in spring of last year. So now you're headed to a really expensive country to live, but uh, that's not really the question. The question is, what's the need over there? So can you tell us about the history of missions in Japan and, uh, and what, what is the need there? Yeah, so modern Christian missions in Japan really began after the Second World War. There was some work there before, but uh, really kind of grew after the, the war was over. Uh, when Japan surrendered, they had to rewrite their constitution and they enshrined religious freedom for everybody into their constitution. So there's no legal obstacles uh, to sharing the gospel, to receiving the, the good news of Jesus Christ in Japan, but there's strong cultural obstacles, namely a Buddhism and Shintoism. So while most people aren't super religious, uh, Buddhism and Shintoism really inform their, their worldview and their, their understanding of self. So when someone becomes a believer in Japan, it can be really difficult for them because other people in their life kind of view them as not, not fully Japanese anymore, which, which can be really hard in a country where it's so important to fit in. So there's a, there's a great spiritual need in Japan, even though there's been a lot of work going on there since after the Second World War. Uh, Japan, uh, after Bangladesh, is still the, the largest unreached nation in the world. It's a nation where the Christian community doesn't have the resources and people to, to reach the rest of the country without outside help. Only about half a percent of Japanese people would name Christ as Lord and Savior. So it's a very small Christian community. And there's a huge need for uh, workers in Japan. Over the past 20 years, there's been about a 35% decline in the number of missionaries serving in Japan. And that's, that's mainly due to missionaries retiring and uh, returning to their passport countries and not being replaced at the same rate at which they're retiring. Mm. And there's much more work to be done there. Uh, I remember reading a study, about 60% of Japanese people have no context for the name Jesus. If you were to say Jesus to them, they would say, who's a Jesus? What's a Jesus? I don't know what you're talking about. People, when we gather in the church parking lot, there's about 175 people gathered in our church parking lot these days outdoors which means that if we were in japan we still probably wouldn't have one believer among us in that parking lot because we haven't got to the ratio of one and 200 yet so that's that's how hard it is if someone's wanting to find out what's a jesus then uh they've got a lot more digging to do than just coming uh to a group of uh, 175 people yeah a good example of that would be last time we were in japan the community in which we served was I mean, it's kind of arbitrary boundaries carved out from a city, but within our community, uh, there's about 300,000 people living in that, uh, they call it a ward, and our church plant of about 30 to 40 people was the only church in that ward. So, so Tanya, as you're thinking about uh, heading over there into this space, uh, could, could you uh, tell us, you've already, you've already been there, what's it going to be like living over there? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, so the last time we were there, it was just Andrew and I. So um, one thing we did notice last time is that there were a, a number of mums who were kind of like out during the day with their strollers and, and their kids. 
So I, yeah, I kind of imagine that I'll be able to maybe connect in the community, like as a young mom and maybe meet some of these other moms that are going around. And I really want to try to get kind of connected into a community as soon as we arrive. Cause I know it, yeah, it'll, it'll feel isolating, not being with our church and family and different things there. So, yeah. So it, it, while you, I understand you'll be going to a, a more outskirty kind of place outside of Tokyo uh, so that you can have better immersion for learning the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and will you be connected with uh, with like a small church plant there already to kind of get oriented or how will you be landing when you get there? Yeah, so when we arrive in country, we're going to be mentored by a, a senior uh missionary family in Japan, actually the, the family that's currently there with Fellowship International uh, was sent out almost 30 years ago by the church I grew up at in, in, in Timmins, Ontario, First Baptist in Timmins. And we're going to be uh, paired up with them and in preparation for that, we're already uh, meeting with them uh, over Zoom every second week for prayer. So we're already building up that connection. So when we get to Japan, they're going to be mentoring us and they're going to in Japan, it's introductions are really important. So they're going to introduce us to a local Japanese church. So uh, in our first term, we'll be really focused on learning the language as well as uh, learning the culture, uh, which is really important in Japan because it's, yeah, the culture is different than here. It's how I might go about something here. You have to go about it differently in Japan. And we, uh, so we want to be focusing on learning language and learning culture uh, in our first term. So the stuff you're doing already to get ready for being over there, uh, and you're also serving in ministry here. So it, tell us a little bit about the ministry that you're involved in currently in your in your home church there in New West. One of the things that we've been involved with uh, is the Young Leaders Cohort, which is a two-year training program that me and our pastor Paul developed uh, for young people in the church. It's a uh, puts them through a process of discipleship as well as practical training. And there's a a strong component of uh, accountability through that. Uh, Furthermore, um, a big part of our ministry right now is visiting churches uh, and sharing our vision for ministry in Japan and letting people know how we see the Lord leading us and his work in Japan and how they can be involved in that. Yeah, I guess for me with uh, two littles at home, I've, yeah, I've been doing some ministry to just my family, like sending out Bible verses and different things. Um, And then kind of like what I was saying in Japan, connecting with young moms and that type of thing. I've, yeah, whenever I take the kids to the park, I kind of see who I could maybe chat with or make a connection with. So yeah, just in little ways, I guess. Well, uh, how can people be partnering with you? Number one way that people can partner with us is through prayer. Uh, and you, you can uh, sign up to receive our, we, we send out a regular prayer letter uh, and it has prayer requests in it. And right now we just sent out a, a recent prayer letter update. And the main prayer request there would be for yeah, strength and endurance as we enter a a new phase in our partner raising, visiting new churches every weekend, as well as um, yeah, Thanksgiving for the individuals who've uh, agreed to to show kind hospitality to us and host us uh, during our travels. Uh, so, if you would like to uh, receive our our prayer update letters, I think you could probably put put something in the in the notes here for this 
this chat. As well, another way that you can kind of partner with us is, is through finance. Uh, if you'd like to, to sign up for that online, uh, you can do that at fellowship.ca slash Rokeby. That's R-O-K-E-B as in boy, Y. Uh, like are people giving like, you know, $25 a month, $50 a month, 100, 250, that sort of thing, depending on, on what their means are. Is that kind of what you guys are experiencing? Some partners who are giving $20 a month as they're able and others, uh, as the Lord's provided for them several hundred dollars a month. So it's a really big range. And uh, I understand you're available uh, to meet right from your couch there. We're really looking forward to meeting with people, anyone who who's, uh, would like to hear more. We really see it as a, a partnership and not just, uh, oh, please put your check in the mail. Uh, we really want to be building relationships with our partners so that we can, not only can they grow with us in our ministry, but we, we can grow with them as well as we pray for one another and, um, yeah, share our lives with one another. Well, I encourage everybody at our church to, to really consider doing this because you're getting into the ground floor. The story is just beginning and the drama will unfold newsletter by newsletter uh, over the four years and beyond. So, uh, so I encourage you to consider getting involved praying. And it's even more fun giving because when you empty your wallet, uh, you have the faith that God will fill it up again. Uh, so uh, consider seriously investing in this young couple, please. Back in April, I was a part of a Zoom meeting where all of our Feb Pacific ministries were giving an annual report. Now, if I was honest, I had other things to do. This wasn't a top priority for me, but I did join in just to support them. I was quickly rebuked when I started to hear story after story of what God was doing during COVID in and through the ministries of the churches and the various ministry agencies that we support. I was so inspired by what our, our BC fellowship was doing collectively and that it inspired me to bring that to our own church family to say, hey, let's find ways that we can keep moving forward and working together even during the restrictions of COVID. Our region, Feb Pacific, has a main office in Fort Langley. That's where David Harita, who is our regional director, works along with his staff, and it's quite a large staff, about 14, many of whom have connected with us over the years. So maybe you've heard some of these names like Doug Fordham. Uh, he recently retired, but he's helped us with constitution and bylaws and our finances. And then we had that consultation about three years back, and they sent in to help us out Todd Chapman and Krista Penner and Lara McAllister, uh, that was part of our discipleship training day with all of our ministry leaders. That office is there to serve us as churches, but they also have partnerships that by extension allow us to be a part of those partnerships. You might not know this, but each month we send an offering, or from our offerings, a gift of $1,500 to that fellowship office, not only to support them in the office, but by extension the works that they are partnered with. So. Who are those partners? What do they do? Let's talk about that. So for these 100 churches throughout British Columbia and Yukon, uh, we, we're organized and um, Brent Chapman, who's a pastor at Southridge Fellowship in Langley, is our president of the 100 churches. Also in Langley is our seminary, which is called Northwest Baptist Seminary, but it's located on the Trinity Western campus uh, with the other seminaries called 
Acts Seminary. So there's five different seminaries that have come together to form one. And that's where I went to school. And that's presently where Rob and Tim are studying to get their master's degree. It's also at Northwest Baptist Seminary or at Acts where Dr. Archie Spencer uh, teaches. Now you may not have heard of Baptist Housing. This is one of those other agencies and it is a unique and wonderful work that they do amongst seniors. They run 21 facilities for seniors communities around Vancouver, Greater Vancouver and up into the interior of BC. They offer seniors housing rental for independent living, assisted living and long-term care. And you know what? They do a phenomenal job of it. Their facilities are impeccable. Their services and amenities are absolutely amazing. And they bring to that amazing program of theirs chaplains who lead in worship services and really give a lot of pastoral care to people. And because they are a charity and they steward their business well, they are able to take monies that are earned and give it away to all these different agencies that allow those agencies to do the work of God. It's just an amazing organization and God has truly blessed it. Now, one of these agencies that receives a lot of financial blessing from Baptist Housing is called WINGS. WINGS is an acronym. It stands for Women in Need Gaining Support. And their mission statement is to provide women and children in need the opportunity to gain strength and to live according to their true value. And while they offer a number of services to support women and children who are fleeing domestic violence, one of the main avenues is through a place called Monarch Place. It's a transition house for women who are in these kinds of abusive relationships. Monarch Place can welcome 12 women and children at one time for a max maximum of 30 days. It offers a safe and secure environment that's staffed 24 hours a day. It can meet immediate needs of food and clothing and shelter, but also those longer term needs through counseling and training and advocacy assistance. It also has a special place called the Butterfly Room, which is actually a program for children that they could be in a safe and caring atmosphere um, while, their, while their family's going through this time. Monarch Place has been running for over 20 years. Another agency is called New Hope Refugee Transition House, and it's located in, in Surrey, uh, Surrey, BC. It has 13 units in an apartment building, and it provides housing and support to refugees as they're transitioning into life in Canada. And you know, in the last few years, there's been so many amazing stories of how God has used this ministry uh, to a number of refugees coming from other countries and coming to faith in Christ. I don't have time to go into all these details, but I really do encourage you to check out the website www.febpacific.ca and you can read up on all of these. Here's a few more. In Vancouver, there's a ministry called Vancouver Urban Ministries, which focuses on tutoring, tutoring children who are in the public school system, but mostly tutoring kids who have some level of special need or learning disability. It's been so popular and so well received that other school districts have been asking for churches to help provide this kind of tutoring. And so the Urban Ministries has gone to different um, districts teaching churches how they too can offer this in the public school systems. Another work is called the Migrant Workers Ministry. 
This was founded by a pastor of ours called Pastor Carlos Carrion 13 years ago. Him and his team have been assisting hundreds of workers that come into Canada to work on the farms. Uh, they, they provide all sorts of services, but they always have these Bible studies. And these men predominantly, although women are a part of this program as well, have come to faith in Christ by the dozens and have been baptized. And this has just been an exciting work. The last one I'll mention to you today, and it's one that you're probably familiar with uh, because we talk about a bit more. It's our fellowship camps. So we have three in BC. One is Camp Kuanos on Vancouver Island. The second one is Sunny Bray in the interior, uh, Salmon Arm on the Shuswap Lake. And then the third one is Mountainside Bible Camp, which we were just bringing to your attention last month when we took our benevolent offering and gave it to them. It's located up in the Kootenays near Fernie, BC. They're just getting off the ground this summer. And so we gave them our benevolent offering last month. Now, I want to tell you a couple stories about Camp Kuanos. Last summer, they had a deficit heading into the summer of $1.3 million. Now, a lot of that money, uh, the deficit part, was because that, that's how they run and operate, that prior to the summer camp, they spend the money to get it all set up, and then through the registrations that come in the camp, they pay it back, and that's how they operate. But unfortunately, when COVID hit and they realized they weren't going to be able to have overnight campers, this put them in a very hard spot. Camp Kuanos regrouped. They found out that they could run day camps, and boy, it was a lot of work, but they did it. They had 1,200 registrations come in, which made up some of that deficit, but it didn't make up all of the deficit. So they had churches that supported them. The ministry partners, right, were one of those churches, and we sent them a gift last summer. They also ran some auctions and they had some generous donors. And by the end of the year, with only seconds left, that $1.3 million deficit was completely met. And in the dying seconds of 2020, they had $1,000 extra come in. To God be the glory that that huge amount of money was made up in less than six months. I spoke with Scott Bailey, and he gave me this story, and I was so excited about it, I want to share it with you. He, he shared that this young lady who was in grade 12 uh, from Nanaimo was a part of Camp Kuanos for a number of years, taking their leadership development programs, uh, Step Out, CIT, which means Counselor in Training, LIT, which means Leader in Training, which, by the way, right now, Nathan Locke, is one of our students from our church who's a leader in training at Camp Kuanos this summer. And so this young lady, about to graduate from grade 12, decided when she heard that Camp Kuanos was going to run and needed counselors, she signed up to be a counselor for the summer. Just before she graduated, in the last class of the year in her science class, her teacher asked her, a male teacher, who uh, happened to be an atheist, what do you plan to do for the summer? And she said, oh, I'm going to be a counselor at a Christian Bible camp. To which he replied, why would you do that? Like, why waste your time? Later that summer, because they weren't able to do this particular grad event, they, they held it in the middle of the summer. And so she got to go back to Nanaimo and she was there at this grad event and this teacher was there. And he kindly actually inquired about how's it going at your camp where you're a counselor? To which she very excitedly reported back the way they were doing day camps, all the activities they were running. She de described it in great detail. Unbeknownst to her, this teacher ends up registering his 11-year-old daughter to attend a week at Camp Quanos, day camp. 
But because they live in Nanaimo, and Crofton is where the camp's located, a 45-minute drive away, the, the issue of transportation was there. No problem. No worries. Two of the churches in Nanaimo had offered their buses and drivers every day that Camp Kwanos was running to take kids from Nanaimo down to Crofton and then back again in the evening for the entire summer. I mean, this is just amazing. Now, Camp Kuono said, okay, if your churches are going to offer the buses, we'll, we'll offer the staff, the bus captain and counselors to help the kids be welcomed and, and safe on that trip um, from Nanaimo to Camp Kuono's. This teacher, I mean, this student uh, who was a counselor, Tia is her name, she decided to join on one of those buses. And when she was on the bus, she sat down beside a young girl to encourage her to find out who she was, to be friendly, and lo and behold, behold, you know who it was. It was the daughter of that science teacher. When they got to the camp and that young girl was registering to be in her group, Lo and behold, she was in Tia's group. Throughout the course of that week, Tia had the opportunity to answer this girl's questions about Christianity and about who God is and who his son Jesus Christ is and why he came. And then she, the counselor, was able to give that young girl a Bible, the first Bible that she had ever had in her entire life. Because they both live in Nanaimo, the counselor was able to stay in touch with that girl through the course of the fall. And now that young girl is coming back to Camp Kuonos for a second time. Scott Bailey tells me he's not sure if that girl has yet come to faith in Christ, but for sure seeds have been planted. And it could be this summer when she declares her faith in Christ. We need to pray for that girl. Now, that's an amazing story, and I guarantee you, those are the kinds of stories that are happening throughout British Columbia, through our Bible camps, and through all the other Bible camps that aren't a part of our fellowship. We need to be praying for them. I'm so proud to be a part of a denomination that's been active, following God's leading through these doors of opportunity to bring the message of hope and redemption to our world. People need to know about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come into the world to rescue sinners. And it's happening. It's happening through our churches, through the training at our seminaries, through camp ministry and wings reaching out to women in need, uh, tutoring programs like the one in Vancouver, migrant workers coming here to work, and even through quality seniors housing. You know, God is so good. And I'm excited that we get to partner through our fellowship with these agencies where people are finding the living hope of Jesus Christ before they step into eternity. Now, I know that this has been an unusual Sunday for us, but I trust that you get a sense of the fact that we're part of a broader community of churches and what God is doing in and through our collective effort. Maybe something you've heard this morning or seen on the slides has triggered your heart and you go, man, I want to be a part of that or I want to financially support that and you can. You can talk to us. We can help you make that connection. Or again, there's a lot more information online about all of these and other ministries. So go to www.fellowship.ca. That's for the national work. And then to our own BC region, www.febpacific.ca. Check out, just click on, read around. There are so many amazing stories there. I want to close with the words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 4. He says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know what I hear in there? These words remind me of the fact that our fellowship is called and we are in unity. And God is blessing it. Just a little bit further down, Paul goes on to say, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people, to equip us for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, God is doing a work through and in the life of our own church family. But, you know, by extension, he's doing it collectively through our churches that are working together to be used of God in all these various ways, ways in which we couldn't just do on our own. But by partnering together, we get to be a part of that. And I hope that that excites you. I hope that you catch the vision for being a part of a fellowship that's trying to make a difference in all these ways. And you know, one of the ways this morning that you can be a part of it is by at least praying for the Rokebees, by getting a hold of their newsletter, signing up for that, and, uh, and maybe even financially supporting them. Become a part of their team. And let's see what God is going to do in and through their lives as they minister in Japan. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. Starting tomorrow evening is our VBS soccer camp, which will run Monday to Friday. And then next Sunday, we're going to come back together again for what we call Soccer Sunday. That will be both in person, in the worship center, but also online. And, uh, and we invite you, if you want to try worshiping together in person, it's 10 a.m. You don't have to register. You just need to come on out. And God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the way in which you call us into a local community of believers, but we're also a part of a broader community of believers and a part of your church worldwide. Thank you that you are moving and working through the hands and feet of Jesus when people reach out in love and care for the brokenhearted and care for the immigrant and the foreigner and the ones in needs and need. And Lord, we get to be a part of that continue to have uh, to help us have eyes for our community and the world around us that we might see how it is that you want to use us specifically. I pray a blessing on the Rokebees. Father, I pray for the financial support they need and I pray for that day when they will land in Japan to be your servants working there that we get to partner with them in this way. Bless our week. VBS is here and we pray for your hand of protection upon it and every volunteer and every child that would come be a part of that program that they would know Jesus Christ, sense his love for them. So we pray for that blessing in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.